You're listening to New Life Washington Podcast. We pray this sermon encourages you and builds up your faith. It's our goal to help you live so that no one misses the grace of God. Enjoy the sermon. We've been in a series recently, it's called The Story, and what we've been doing with this series is we've been taking you through the story of the Bible from the very beginning all the way through, but here's a little bit of the problem, right? It's an eight-week-long series, so as you can imagine, we can't take you through every single verse, every single story, because we'd be here for a couple of years together going through it all. So what we've been doing is we've been breaking it down into the main portions of the Bible, some of the key parts, and we've been talking about those stories that tell us the big picture of the Bible all the way through. And what I hope has happened and what I hope happens today also is that you see some consistent themes throughout the Bible, some things that are really important because the author of the Bible, God, has some things that he wants you to know has some things that he wants you to experience, has some things that he wants you to know about him because the Bible is a story about God. It's a story about Jesus. And he has some things that he wants to communicate to you about who he is. But one of the themes that we've seen throughout this whole series so far, in fact, there's been two consistent themes that I want to talk about out of the six that we've talked about so far. And one of those is that from the very beginning, God's people have showed themselves to be unfaithful. And man, we can look from the very beginning of our kids' lives. Nobody has to teach them to disobey. That's something that we kind of pick up very quickly, okay? Nobody has to teach them to say no. Nobody has to teach them to bite their brother or sister, okay? Those things just kind of begin to happen. And from the very beginning, we see that Adam and Eve, they began to sin, and that that sin had continued on generation to generation throughout Scripture of people who are being unfaithful, disobeying God again and again and again. So that's one theme on this side, and I think we can all relate. We can all go there. We can all understand that. We've been in those shoes. We are in those shoes. So here we are with unfaithfulness, disobedience on this side. But on the other hand, we have a God, and the word that we've used for this is a, is a Hebrew word called hesed. And this word, it means God's faithful love. And we see this word so far throughout the Old Testament. And what this means is that in the midst of unfaithfulness, in the midst of mistakes that people have made in the scriptures, that God along the way continued over and over and over and over and over again, praise the Lord, to show his great love for his people, a faithful love, a love that doesn't stop when his people mess up, a love that doesn't stop because there's some mistakes along the way, a love that doesn't stop. He continues to pursue them. He continues to chase after them. He continues to want a relationship with them. He continues to have a plan forward to redeem his people. And today we get to the good part. We get to the good part because every one of these stories has been pointing to somebody Somebody who's going to come and save us, somebody who's going to come, who's going to be the sacrifice for our redemption, somebody who's going to come. And all these stories whisper his name, and the name that I'm talking about is the name of Jesus. And he's the the main character of all of these stories, and he's the main character of Easter. He's the main character of everything that we do here at New Life. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so as we get going today, we see that in these stories that we've talked about along the way, that in the story of Adam and Eve, that it points to their unfaithfulness, but every step of the way, it's like God is whispering, I've got a plan forward. 
I've got a plan forward for you. This isn't the end. Adam and Eve, you think this is the end, but let me tell you, I've got a plan forward for you. Moses, Abraham, I've got a plan forward for you. I've got a plan for my people. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to uh, free them. I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to do this. He's got a plan forward every step of the way for his people. And I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. It's good news that we've got a God that wants to pursue us, that wants to love us, that wants a relationship with us, that desires that. And today we hear more and more about him. But as you can imagine, along the way, as we've been talking about all these stories that have been whispering the name of Jesus, God's people began to whisper also. And what they were whispering was something a little bit different. Their whispers looked like prayers, and their prayers looked like this. I can't wait for the day that the Messiah comes to save us. I can't wait for the day that all these wrongs are made right. I can't wait for the day that the Messiah comes and turns all these things around. And from the young life of a young Hebrew kid, their heart was, man, I hope I get to meet the Messiah one day. I hope all things turn around. And for 400 years after the Old Testament, there was silence. There was nothing. And God's people were being oppressed. There was kingdoms that were coming in and taking over and punishing them. And every step of the way, their prayer was, Lord, would you come? Would you come and free us? Would you come and save us? Would you come and help us? And so we fast forward 400 years, and on a beautiful night, a Savior is born. A Savior is born in a way that nobody thought. Everybody thought it would be like a king being ushered in and this beautiful moment. But, a, but Jesus is born in a manger, and he's born in a manger where things are messy. And that's exactly what he came to do, to join our mess. And he came into a mess, and he lived a perfect life. And throughout his life, he did amazing miracles and showed love to people and did some amazing things along the way to show who he was and to show that he was the one that everybody's been talking about all this time. And some of the key things that he did along the way that I think should be so significant to us is that he cared about the outcasts, that he cared about those who were sinners. In fact, he's called a friend of sinners. And in those moments, there's key moments where he's made fun of, where he is, uh, he's looked at as, as somebody low because he's friends with sinners. And I love that about Jesus, that he's friends of sinners. I love that about Jesus that in the, all the people that get outcasted because of their disease, maybe it's leprosy, that Jesus is the one not shunning them, but hugging them, that that is who we worship, the God who embraces people, not pushes them away. And so here we are in this part of the story where, where Jesus has this earthly ministry for several years, and suddenly all of these people that don't like that Jesus is friends with sinners that doesn't like that Jesus is healing people, that doesn't like all the attention that Jesus is getting, they begin to make a big fuss. And as they make a big fuss, Jesus is put on trial. And as Jesus is put on trial, everybody's like, oh, if he's the Messiah, there's no way. He's going to be able to make it out of this just fine. It's going to be okay if he's the Messiah. But you know what happens on that Good Friday? Jesus dies a, ter a, a terrible death on the cross for us. And he's beaten, and he's spit on, and he's ridiculed, 
and he's made fun of, and he dies a tragic death on the cross. And at that moment, hopelessness takes over. All of his followers begin to believe, man, maybe he wasn't the Messiah. There's no way a Messiah could die a death like this. But in that moment, God makes a way forward. He makes a path forward in the midst of hopelessness. And Jesus rises from the dead in a moment when everybody thinks there's no way. And so we're going to pick up here in Mark chapter 1 because I wanted to show you that as Jesus arrived on the scene, everybody was pointing towards him. Everybody was pointing towards him and this moment. So John the Baptist, let's just back up just a little bit, begins to say these words, I'm preparing the way for the Lord. In the book of Isaiah, he says along the way, hey, I'm preparing the way for the Lord. And it reads like this. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And let me tell you what John the Baptist is doing before I get back to the resurrection. What John the Baptist is doing is he's preparing the way almost like a king. So imagine a king coming to town. That king wanted everybody to know that he was coming. So what would he do? He would send some messengers out in front of him who would have these little horns. You've probably seen this in cartoons before growing up. Right? Somebody shows up, a king's on its way, all of a sudden these little messengers come with their little horns and they go, doo, 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 the king is coming. Right? And then suddenly the king arrives and everybody has his attention. And so that's exactly what John the Baptist is doing. John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus to come. And in this moment, Jesus begins to arrive. And what does John the Baptist say the first time he sees him? He says, here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this resurrection moment that I just told you about, what God is saying by his resurrection is that Jesus truly is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. But let's pick back up here in Luke chapter 24, verses 13, 13 through 27. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 27. At this moment, Jesus has already resurrected. At this moment, people are talking about this. So this is what happens. It says, now that same day, two of them, two people were walking. They were going to a village called Emmaus. And about seven miles from Jerusalem, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. So just imagine that. You're on a walk. This significant thing that just happened, the death of Jesus, the person that you thought was the Messiah, and you're talking about it. And all of a sudden, somebody comes up, they begin to walk with you, and they begin to talk too. This is what happened. And these guys are walking, and Jesus comes alongside of them. He doesn't reveal who he is, but he asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? So they stood still, their faces downcast. They're discouraged about what just happened. And one of them, named Cleopas, he asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here? He's saying, dude, where have you been? This is the most talked about thing happening right now. Jesus died on the cross. You serious? He's the one that everybody thought was the Messiah. 
Jesus says, what things? They say about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But he had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. So he's saying things have been really hopeless lately. We thought he was the one that was going to free us. We thought he was the one that was coming to be the Messiah. We thought he was the one, and it didn't turn out that way. It's been three days since he died. And he says, in addition, here's the exciting news. Some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of an angel who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found that it was empty. They did not see Jesus. He said to them, Jesus says this, he says, How foolish are you, how slow to believe all, the, all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning to himself. Okay, so lots of scripture there, but let me tell you what's happening. Jesus shows up on the scene. These guys are discouraged. And Jesus says, hey, this is how it's supposed to happen. This is how it's supposed to happen. Read Isaiah, read Jeremiah, read all these books. Doesn't it say that the, the, the Messiah has to come and has to, be, has to suffer? Doesn't it say that? He says, let me explain. And he begins to explain to him, just like we've talked over these last six weeks, the story of Scripture. And he begins to explain from the very beginning, every step of the way, he begins to explain who he is, who the Messiah is, and how his name has been whispered throughout the, the history of the Bible, throughout every story, that every story points to him. And he's explaining this to them as they talk. And, and I think if, I, if we were there that day, some of the things that Jesus would tell him, would tell these men that he's walking with, is he would say, do you remember in the book of Genesis where it talks about the snake and it talks about somebody that's going to come who's going to crush the head of the snake? You know what? That person's me. That person's me. I'm the Messiah. That is me. And he goes on and he continues to tell the story. He says, remember when Abraham said that, that through his line, somebody would come that would bring a blessing to the whole world? That's me. Jesus, I'm here to bring a blessing to the whole world. That's who he's talking about. Remember when, when Abraham had to sacrifice his son, but at the last minute, I provided a sacrifice for him in place of him. Do you remember that? I'm that sacrifice. I'm that sacrifice that's in place of you, that when you deserve death, I took your place. That is who I am. So he's just telling them step by step all of these Bible stories and explaining how they point to him, explaining how they point to the Messiah. He says the Passover lamb. Remember the Passover story? where the blood of the lamb was, was wiped on the doorposts. He says, I'm the true Passover lamb. I'm the one that scripture points to. I'm the one who can wash away the sins of the world. I'm the one. I'm the one who fully keeps and represents what the law pointed towards. I'm the one. When Joshua went to the promised land, 
I'm the one who's going to take us to the real promised land. I'm the one. Every step of the way, every story, it whispers the name of Jesus. It's pointed to him all along. And now here he is saying, it's been me all along. I'm the answer. I'm the one. And Jesus is the answer, and he continues to be the answer. He continues to be the answer for every single one of us. That if we are ever wanting to move forward, that if we are ever stuck, that if we are ever brokenhearted, that if we are ever in trouble, that we turn to Jesus. He is the answer for everything. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And he is the only one who can help us and the one who can defeat sin and death and truly save the human heart from evil. We know that about Jesus. And I have this video that I want to show you to illustrate this. So let's watch that real quick. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative in which every story, every character points beyond itself to one who is greater. The story of Adam and Eve is not just about the first man and woman. There is a true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is ascribed to us. There is a true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. There is a true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Isaac, the son of laughter, of grace, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. There is a true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. There is a true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice, now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. There is a true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. There is a true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. There is a true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. There is a true and better Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one person, Jesus. Amen. Amen.
man, the Bible points to the one who is true, the one who is better, and his name is Jesus. Let's give Jesus a hand this morning. Let's thank God for him, right, on this Easter Sunday. We're so blessed. We're so blessed to have someone like Jesus who's come to redeem us, who's come to save us, who's come to forgive us. We're so, so, so blessed in that. But as we've seen throughout Scripture, there's two problems, two problems that we have as human beings. One of those problems is sin, and they go hand in hand. Our rebellion that we've talked about, our tendency to go the wrong direction. And one of those problems is death. And I want you to know this morning that what the resurrection does is it solves both of those problems for us. And that's why Jesus came, to be an answer to solve both of those problems, the problem of sin and the problem of death. And as Jesus died, he undid death itself. And he fully brings life out of death, good out of bad. And I want you to see that from this resurrection story of Jesus coming back to life. That he undoes death. He comes back to life. And not only that, but he can turn bad into good. That he has that ability. So I don't know where you're at in your story today. Maybe you're here and you'd say, Jesse, you don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. You don't know my story. But you know what? Jesus does know your story. He does know what you've done. He does know who you are. He does know everything about you. And I'm telling you that we see this theme throughout Scripture that the character of God is one that he loves you. He loves you despite your past, despite your circumstances, despite who you are, that he loves you and he desires a relationship with you. And because of that, he died on the cross to pay the punishment for your sins. He rose again. That sacrifice has been accepted. And that if you put your trust in him, that your sin problem is forgiven and that he begins to work from the inside out to begin to work on your heart, to make your heart more like his heart. We know that. But the other problem that we see in Scripture is this problem of death. And it's a big problem in our world that often worries us. What if I die? What if you die? What if so-and-so loved one dies? It's this worry that we deal with on a regular basis, but the resurrection, it helps us to have peace in the midst of even that. The finality of death is not final because of what Jesus did. And so what happens in Scripture is Jesus dies and he rises again and he promises that death for us is not final either, that we have hope of the future, that we have hope of being with him for eternity and we can have great peace in that, not having to worry about death. We can say, death, where is your sting? Because of Jesus. In a story to illustrate that, years ago, it's been over 10 years now, um, my wife Helena, she uh, has a stepdad and his name was Mike. And so Mike got very, very sick. He was in the hospital. We showed up. We prayed our guts out for him. We prayed and asked God to heal him and asked God to do a work in Mike's life. And a couple of days later, Mike took his last breath and he died. And so there was a lot of heartache. Did, I, did we not pray hard enough? Did we not ask hard enough? Like, Lord, what happened here? And Helena went through an even deeper journey with that as she asked God, why didn't you heal him? I asked you to heal him. And as time went on, and as this question began, this question was repeated over and over again, there was a day where God answered her. And God says, Elena, 
I did to heal your dad. I did heal him. He's in a perfect place. He's not hurting. He's healed. He's perfect. Everything's perfect. And he's in a good, good place. In a better place than he was before. I did heal him. And friends, this answers the problem of death. Because what Jesus did for us is he made it possible that when we leave this world, that there's a better place for us that he's promised for us. A better place that he has for us where there's no pain and there's no suffering. So in one moment, Jesus handles the problem of sin and the problem of death. And that is encouraging for you and I. So how do we go forward today in both of those areas? Well, I would say if there's, if there's a disconnect from you and God, that today's your moment to step forward and to say, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. That if sin and death is a problem for you, that your step forward is to step forward into a relationship with Jesus and to say, Jesus, I want to follow after you. And it's not going to be perfect. But that step forward of faith allows that relationship to begin. And that is open for every single one of us. Thanks for listening. For more information about New Life Washington, check out our website at newlifeonline.org. God bless.